Hi, this is Chad. I'm so glad to be part of your journey once again towards product mastery so that you and all of us can do a better job creating products that our customers love. Today, we're talking about to use or not to use Agile. That sounds like that should be a Shakespearean line, to use or not to use Agile uh, for your product projects. There's a lot of pressure on releasing products. That timeline is getting shorter. We want to create more value for our customers, do that more efficiently and effectively. And is Agile the right answer for us? Maybe. A lot of you have some experience with this, and I think when, as you listen to this discussion, you'll find some more answers that will be really helpful. The details matter about the situation you're in. And to explore this topic with us, we have Mark Matson. He is here to share his experience, which is very deep in almost, I think, nearly two decades now of helping organizations implement agile-type practices. He has built and led project organizations in a variety of companies, including Lego, Saab, and Danfoss. And he has seen the conditions needed for Agile to work well, and also when it doesn't. And we'll get into the details in just a minute. Also, as a reminder, we do take show notes for you. We also prepare a one-page written guide to help you put into action immediately the key takeaways from our discussion. And you'll find those resources at productmasterynow.com slash 386. There are many teams that are putting those practices into use. This is a great way to share them with each other. So just go to productmasterynow.com com slash 386 for those uh, great resources. Mark, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So I recently just came across a survey about agile practitioners, right, inside companies and whether they like its use or don't like its use, right, now that we have tried to transform the organization into using agile. One of my hats is university teacher, and I have the pleasure of teaching project management, which obviously we use in developing products. We use the project management skills at Purdue University. And students get exposed to the standard plan, the traditional waterfall approach, agile. And then what we're seeing used a lot in organizations is hybrid, right? Some combination of those two. But in the survey, it was pretty much split right down the middle. Organizations using agile today, individuals in those companies, about half of them saying, yeah, this is the best thing. So glad we moved. Half of them saying, this has been really hard and not sure we should have made the change. So we're going to dive into that. When does it make sense? When does it actually help? us get products into the market faster? When does it help us feel more lean and flexible? But first, let's define some terms. Agile, and I, I say it all kinds of ways, depending on how it comes out of my mouth. Agile, agile, help us understand what uh, agile actually means in the context of developing products. Yeah, I think agile means a lot of different things to, uh, to a lot of different companies and, and individuals, indeed. And I think that's also one of the things that I've really experienced over the years, that that, that there is not really one meaning of, of agile. There is the, the dictionary meaning of being agile and being flexible and that, but it has really come to mean many different things for the companies. Uh, I think that's one of the challenges as well. When we are talking about agile, what are we really meaning when we are talking about it? So what agile means to me, I think that's an, a part of the answer. It is indeed around the flexibility. It, it goes a lot back to the principles um, uh, of agile that, that goes all the way back to the manifesto. It really goes back to, to the roots of that uh, and implementing that. But of course, it's also an umbrella for a lot of practices uh, out there like Scrum and Safe and yeah, many of those great things that, that the companies are, are implementing around the world also, right? My experience with this, I've been part of lots of product projects, um, other projects as well. And if we have very clear understanding of the requirements and those requirements aren't likely to change, well, Waterfall works pretty well. 
The challenge is very rarely is that the case, especially on product projects. Our understanding of what the customer needs and the business environment and probably their understanding of actually best ways to maybe solve the solution as we show them capabilities, all that evolves and that's where uncertainty is part of that picture. And because it evolves so much, a process that is more agile, and usually this is Scrum these days, right? They're safe in there for larger organizations, but usually the stakes of the form of Scrum. That all seems to make really good sense when you are in an environment that is uncertain and you need to deal with evolving requirements. Definitely. And I really think that uh, we have seen Scrum really help us out in that world. We've seen Scrum uh, help out in the software world, in the electronics world, where requirements are constantly evolving, where it's hard to predict what the outcome should be, where there is a lot of complexity, both in the teams and how we work in the organization, developing complex products also that we, when we admit it, we don't quite understand up front uh, what we are going to do. And then indeed, yes, it makes a lot of sense to to work agile. Realize that you don't know all of the unknowns, but you need to learn along the way to understand them. And that needs to be built into this iterativeness that that comes with Scrum, uh, among others, because you cannot sit down and plan something you don't fully understand anyways. So with a little bit of common sense, it connects uh, quite well to that, right? Okay. I use the word uncertainty. How would you characterize projects that really benefit from Agile? Any more that you would add to that? Yeah, definitely. And I think Dave Snowden really has some good input on that. I, but I think just going a little bit back in, into the, to the history of it as well, because as, as you said, I've been on the way with Agile for, for quite many years. And I actually started out using Agile in this world here of software and electronics where it was very uncertain. And I saw that, or Scrum, uh, and I saw that it was really beneficial there. And I became an evangelist. I became one of these sellers that were out and promoting Scrum and everything should be Scrum. This was a, a silver bullet until I eventually came to a company where not everything was as complex as that, where there was also there was production on, on the back end of it. And notoriously, when things go into running production for large numbers, things don't change all the time anyways, because it cannot change anymore. Things need to be stable there. They need to be clear. They need to be uh, cut out so that we, we don't have uh, variety. And that's actually where I saw the first time that Scrum did not necessarily work there. And I did not understand it to start why that was, because now I had seen for many years, uh, had seen that Scrum worked fantastically there. And then all of a sudden doing exactly the same thing in this new setting here. And Scrum did not just work all the way through the development process there. And that's where I really started thinking about this. And it was not until I came upon Snowden that has done the Kunevin framework that it really clicked for me that it was all about complexity. As Snowden says, he divides the world into four habitats, where the name comes from. And again, it is really about, and as he also states there, it is really when you're having these complex tasks that is unpredictable. It is up there that these agile ways of working, they make sense. And as you all, when you have something that is less uncertain, if, if you can plan everything up front, then do that with the waterfall method. That's, that makes total sense. So tell us more about this framework, the, the Snowden and, and the four habitats. What is this? Basically, Snowden says that the different jobs we do, the tasks, the projects, the initiatives we do, they can be divided into uh, to, to roughly uh, four habitats. Say. There are things that we do that are clear. It's like tying your shoes. You know how to do it. You do not need to do something big for these things here. Your shoelaces are, are untied. You bend down, you tie them, and, and you move on with your life. You, you just do these uh, kind of tasks. They're, they're clear. You understand them. You can just do them. And you can also teach them pretty quickly. 
That also goes for team-based tasks. If I'm on the battlefield and I need to dig trenches, I can order 35, you dig the right trench, and 67, you dig the left trench. And we do not need to do a lot of discussion about that there. I can tell it to be done, and they can come back when they're done digging. So there's these tasks there, small or large, down in that world there, that are clear. Just go do it. And that's probably the best way of, of doing them as well. Then there is a world that is more complicated, as, uh, as Snowden calls it. And up in this complicated world here, things can still be predicted, but we might not necessarily understand them. So, for example, if my car breaks down, I might not know how to fix it. I can hear that it sounds wrong in the morning, but I, I do not know how to fix it. So I take it to a mechanic, to an expert. And if this expert is good enough, he has the right equipment, uh, the right tools for analyzing, the right tools uh, for fixing it. He has a good process and, and all the right competences then he can probably diagnose the car, find out what is wrong, and then I can pick it up in the afternoon again and pay a fortune for his for his expertise. If I take it to someone who's not an expert, and we've probably all been there also, they don't fix the car. So really, in that world there, you're living with the experts. You, you need uh, the great teams, the knowledgeable people that have done it before. And if they have done it before, they are usually able to analyze the problem, the job or the projects, every, involving all of the right, because it's also a team effort, but involving all of the right experts from all of the different areas of the company, suppliers, customers, etc. Break everything down. When we will, we understand it well, then we can do a plan and go and execute it. And we can follow the, uh, the plan there and monitor it along the way. So that is the complicated world. And then... The, the, the third habitat there is the complex world. And as uh, Snowden defines that world there, it is really over here where things stop being predicted. It could be the stock market. No matter how much you analyze, you cannot fully predict, is it going up and down? It could also be planting seeds. If I plant 10 seeds that look exactly the same, I treat them exactly the same. I'm definitely not getting 10 trees that are 100% alike. So things there are not predictable. No matter how much we try to analyze, how much we try to do up front, things are not fully predictable over in, the, over in that world there. And that's also dealing with people. You can go into a room and you can crack a joke. Everybody laughs at it. And then you can go into another room that looks exactly like the first one and nobody laughs at the joke and you do not understand why. So all of these complex dynamics uh, that happen up there, we cannot predict everything up front. That's the use of this uh, complex world here as well. There's also a chaotic world, our chaotic habitat as the last one. And that's really what we should think of here is um, if the, the house is on fire, if, if the room is on fire, we see something, a, a crisis happening, a disruption happening, then we react. We, we do not sit down and, and think very much. If the house is on fire, we go for the window or the door, whatever that is closest, we react. Uh, if we come to a door and we grab the handle and the handle is warm, then we probably run the other way, at least. Hope so. So there are these different worlds here, and they really need to be treated uh, differently, is what Snowden says. What works in one world does not necessarily work effectively in the other worlds here. So it was when I saw this, it became clear to me and said, wow, Agile had been working really well in this complex uh, world up there because I'd been dealing with complex problems. Now there were more different kinds of problems, and Agile would not apply very well to the just do it. And when you see that simple model there, it really makes a lot of sense because, again, going back to digging the trenches, you do not need to sit down uh, five people and discuss how do we dig the trench? Should we dig it this deep or this deep? Uh, you do not go out and try to dig a little bit, come back and look at it, go out and dig a little bit more. It, it, that way of working doesn't make sense out there. <coughs> it also doesn't make sense to ask, where do you think the trench should be dug? You just get a lot of friction and a lot of discussion going there, and it will not be as effective as just saying, 35, 
go and dig the right trench, finish. So that's when it really clicked for me. Ah, this is why we have these different tasks. We need to treat them differently. It's not about just implementing Scrum in the whole company. That doesn't work. We'll be back in just a minute. This podcast is sponsored by the RPM Experience, the Rapid Product Mastery Experience. In just nine weeks, meeting 75 minutes a week, product managers, teams, and leaders become product masters, creating more value for customers, their organization, and themselves. You will build a broad foundation of product management knowledge, get everyone on the same page, while also improving collaboration and renewing a focus on the customer, all resulting in higher performance. Participants feel empowered and more confident about their work. They learn how to create value for customers and revenue for their organization. One product leader who used the RPM experience across a global organization said it is the only training that provides an integrated product management perspective. It did exactly what I needed. Many organizations have benefited from the RPM experience, and you'll find them listed at productmasterynow.com RPM. Go to the same URL and schedule time to talk about how Chad and his team can help you and your organization. I like that framework. So th this is new to me, but uh, I like the clarity of that framework. So again, our four kind of quadrants here, the, the four pieces. Things we know how to do them, it's just running the recipe, put it into action. There's the more complicated work, but it's knowable, right? There's experts that know how to do, solve the problem. We just haven't ourselves yet, but it can be done. And we've seen others do it, and now we can bring it into our organization to it too. Then there's the complex and less predictable. Not quite sure how moving each of the levers is going to impact the output over here. So complex things to work through, and we have to try to optimize what the outcome is. And then that chaotic environment where, yeah, in the moment, we just have to react and uh, don't let the house get burned down or our, ourselves get harmed in the process and the analogy you used. I like the clarity about that. I spent a, a lot of time helping companies do a better job creating products. And when I'm in those organizations, we're talking about the process that they have now. And often that looks like a, a stage gate sort of process in some sense. They might be doing a hybrid where we have sprints running inside the stages and the like, but usually there's one process. I'm generally a fan of if organizations are making a move to something new, then yes, let's use that one process, get used to it, and then figure out why does it work the way it does and when are the times that we should maybe modify it and look at something different. Yeah. And this framework that you just shared helps make that really clear that, gosh, there's some situations, some problems where one process might work really well and not perform too well in another kind of project. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and, and also, as I believe it, because I took it one step further, also where it, 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 it doesn't really work to use processes anymore because if you really get over in the complex world, you do not necessarily need the process anymore because a process is also a way of trying to repeat something, trying to use best practices from earlier right. on how to get things done. And if things are really not knowable, if the practices are only just starting to emerge, uh, over in this complex world here, a process is not necessarily something that helps you. It, it might be something that can help you further on when things start to get less complicated, uh, less complex. But when things are really complex, a, a process, if it's new and you don't know it, grabbing a process that worked for something else in, in, in some other context and then trying to implement it on, on, on the new complex thing here, it, it, it can actually be in the way. It's also one of Snowden points to say, how do you work with these things um, 
processes, really great example. Whereas down in the uh, the clear world, the very clear one there, you just have a, a scope of work, uh, a simple step to do this, and the job gets finished great every time. In the complicated world, it's more about processes and best practices and tools that you can grab the, uh, the mechanic that takes out the right uh, tools from the toolbox. Whereas in the complex world, you should be ready to create the processes because you do not necessarily know them yet. And trying to use, again, these approaches uh, in the wrong world, so to say, is not necessarily the most efficient way of doing it. So I really think that makes a lot of sense. And that's also what Scrum is about. By all means, many people are also building a process into that. But a very important thing also of Scrum and of Agile in general is this learning that you modify it. By all means, start with something, but you should be able to modify it and adapt it to, to the reality that you're only just finding out. Absolutely. And so many of us have come to these things just through practical experience. I was using Scrum in the early 90s before the book existed. And I've talked to programmers that you know have much more history in the late 50s, early 60s, the, the, these guys that were, were there at the very beginning of, of tube computers and the like. And they talk about agile type approaches. It started maybe as an, an iterative approach in working and I came to the same thing in the 90s when I, I was a software project manager. Like, okay, let's try this. That's not working. Let's try this. That's not working. And we, we landed on, uh, we called them epicycles, right? A two-week sprints of doing work and showcasing at the end of every other Friday the products we actually developed, right, at that time. And a lot of this is, is running into those problems and then figuring out a way through them. When Agile isn't a good fit, what are the other options that companies should be considering? What, what's in the toolbox we should be thinking about? I think if we are staying with the uh, in, in the complex world, I do think that Scrum can be a great place to start. Mm-hmm. I think that it's more about how it's implemented. Because if you go and implement Scrum very rigidly and you say, in the company here, we decide that a sprint is two weeks long. We need to have the scrum master. We need to have the product owner and they need to do exactly this, uh, frozen roles you implement. And it's, it sounds contradictory when you actually say it out loud, but you implement these agile methodologies very rigidly. It's contradictionary. And that's where I think that it's, it will be very hit and miss if you're actually getting any kind of effectivity out of it. You might be lucky that you are hitting something that could work rather well in, in the majority of examples there, but you might also end up with something that absolutely does not work. So I really think it's much more about training the people and, and showing them it could be Scrum, it could be Kanban, it could be extreme programming, it could be safe, it, it could be really many things, but, but training people and using them uh, in the agile world there, but then letting it up to the team to say, you have the toolbox now, you're the expert, you need to find out how to use the right tools to solve the problems you uh, you have, and then empowering the team to to make those decisions there. I think that is important uh, in, in the complex world to, to do that and letting the team play, letting them uh, find out what are the, the practices that, that work for them. And in the companies where I've seen that, it works really well, where uh, Kanban is combined with Scrum. In some projects, uh, it's more one than the other. Some projects running with, with uh, two-week sprints or iterations, other projects with four weeks. Maybe later, they disband the iterations completely because a more waterfall approach becomes better later on in the project. Mm-hmm. Other places where you have a lot of uncertainty and you want even shorter iterations. I have seen iterations run down to a couple of days even as well. And I think it's very important to have that flexibility and the team that knows the problem to solve, that they are also the ones that can choose what tool do we actually use for the job then. Yeah, the tool to use for the job in the right situation is key, right? One of the comments that I often hear after working with companies is, before we knew how to do things, like we had a process, right? 
Now we under, understand why we do those things. Yeah. And I think that's what you're talking about is picking the right tool for the situation. And I admit, I've, I've been guilty of this too, that you know, there's so much pressure to just move forward, to hit that deadline. Let's just make the process work. And sometimes we do have to step back and actually slow down for a moment and say, hold on, what is our objective? What are we actually trying to achieve? And what's going to help us get there? And maybe what we're doing now isn't actually helping us as best as other things that, that we could use. And I think that is many fall into that um, pitfall there, I would say, when they're trying to become agile. You have discovered this agile thing here. It's like a new screwdriver and it's amazing. Other p- companies have had incredible success with this screwdriver here and say, oh, wow, I need to buy this screwdriver here as well and learn to use it really well. And the whole process, this agile transformation becomes about being really good at agile, being really good at using this screwdriver here. So you teach everybody how to be world champions and using this screwdriver here. And then you, you give them that screwdriver and say, now go and fix your problems. Because this is, you have the world's best screwdriver now. You are trained fully in using it. Now go solve your problems. And then they come out there to a nail. They need to hammer a nail into the wall. And they look at the screwdriver and they say, yeah, but we need to use the screwdriver. And then they start hammering away on this, this, <laughs> the nail with the screwdriver. And that is how many companies are implementing Agile. Then they get into these continuous improvement loops and say, yeah, our, our screwdriver is not really good at this whole nail problem we have. Then they make a bigger head uh, on the screwdriver so it can also be used as a hammer. Mm. And that's really many of these companies that are starting to build these hybrid tools. It really resembles that. They are building a tool that is a screwdriver and a hammer and a bolt cutter all in one hybrid tool. And I know it's, it's a big thing right now. The, the more mature companies I've seen gone down that road really aren't solving their problems with it either. Where I really see it being solved well is when you realize, but this is a screwdriver and it's great that it's very good for the screw problems we have, but we still need a hammer and we still need the the wrench and and all the other tools for solving the other problems that we still have. It's interesting that every time there's another big trend that comes along in these methodologies, like everything before is suddenly just terrible and awful and there's nothing good about it. But yet there's a merit and we have to recognize the situation, what, what it needs. A problem I've seen, I'd love your thoughts on this, when Agile is being put into the development part of the organization, right? So maybe it's it fits in hardware and software sort of problems. Its roots obviously were in software. And so there's lots of the development part of the organization say, we, we need more agility here. We're going to pick up Agile and put that into place. And let's make the assumption that it works well for them, that they've had success with that. But they run into friction with rest of the organization because marketing and saying, hey, we, we got to get our marketing materials put together. We got this nine-month deadline to hit. Are we going to be there in nine months? And the Agile team is doing sprints and has done their overall planning, but they're also following the Agile line, which says, well, we're going to do our sprints every two weeks and we'll tell you what we have done once we get to nine months. So, so there's some friction here with the rest of the organization that comes into play. Mm. What have you seen? What have you done about that? I think it's about realizing what we are talking about, because are we really talking about a predictable problem or, or a problem that is complex? Uh, and, and usually when you get into that dialogue there and you get everybody on the same page, when we have this talk with Mark and saying, look, guys, this is really a complex problem. We were never able to predict this in the past either. We made all of our plans and they they never held anyways. So we know that this is a complex problem and we need to investigate it more. It it is saying in the beginning that we cannot, we're not sure what we are going to deliver at at the final nine month deadline is just facing reality. 
for us. It's doing what we did before, trying to predict something so far out that we, we didn't have a clue about anyways. We were telling ourselves lies and really getting people on board with that. Also talking about and explaining it to people, explaining about these mechanics here and diving into a lot more detail. We're just skimming the surface here. But when you really start to talk to people about this and you get on the same page, then it has been my experience that, that really helps. And then usually, of course, that comes out of it. The, the, the marketing person in this case here would then say at the end of it, but what do I communicate? How, how do we do this? And usually the answer would be, if we are truly iterative and, and we are allowed to be iterative, we know that we have done the most important things. So when we get a little bit closer to that nine-month deadline, we of course, we revise the priorities all along the way. But when we get closer to that deadline there, we can become a lot sharper on what we're actually going to deliver. And we can make a decision at that point. Maybe we can release one month earlier with a lower set of features, but then we can start to get some traction in the market. Or we can choose at that point there to release one or two months later because we only want to do... We want to do few releases, but we really want to hit it on the spot when we actually do release. It gives us that flexibility. And usually marketing people, they love that. And that's at least been my experience. When we understand each other, we're on the same page with mm -hmm. this. And you can have those discussions to release early or release late and, and start to agree on how do we do that. That has been my experience. That really works well when you can get in that mode. But it also requires that it's empowered people again, that marketing person can make the decisions. <laughs> and that's, I think that's usually where I've seen challenges in the companies because ultimately there are very few people that are actually, in many companies at least, are empowered to make decisions. Many times it needs to go all the way up in the top of the pyramid. Yeah. Understanding how the process works is important and why we're choosing it because of the complexity in place. And I like where you started, which is the traditional view is we, we put together our time-based roadmap, a Gantt chart of how this project is going to go. And if we've done this in the past, marketing and also other functions in the organization, they know that they've never been right. Yeah. I can give you a schedule that we already know won't be realistic, or we can work in this different way because we are in a complex, uncertain environment with evolving requirements. And as we get down the process, halfway, I'm going to have a lot more clarity about where we're going to be. And we have a lot more to talk about. That was really good. Yeah, and you also have the advantage. You can also change your mind along the way. We can get new requirements in if we encounter a new customer tomorrow. If we can get his requirements into it as well so we can hit a broader market, we can constantly prioritize what we're actually doing. It's another benefit. And usually also when you ask the marketing people, if we want a fixed estimate up front, then it also means that you cannot come with any changes in the next nine months they also usually don't love that. So it's usually when you get into the dialogue, that's really been my experience. That's then it, that's where the magic happens. Yeah, it's a really good dialogue. And it's yeah. a good reminder. You give us some good talking points to help have that dialogue with people. I'm wondering if you have a, a win for us, a, an example of a organization that did bring in uh, an agile sort of process that was the right choice for them. And things worked out well, just so we can have a good story here about, yeah, this does actually. I, to be honest, I have seen many companies where it has worked out very well. I've been working with, I've been working at Danfoss earlier when I was still, before I became a consultant, I was doing real work. Right? And at Danfoss, I think we managed to, to get a really good agile implementation going with this, with this uh, empowering of the projects, empowering of the project managers, training people in, in using it, but not demanding, uh, not setting up a rigid framework for it. We really got some really great 
benefits there. We actually delivered the first project that was ever delivered on time. <laughs> we delivered after we, we started doing Agile. We reduced time to market. We reduced that from five plus years to, to, to one in, in another aspect. So I've really seen some great examples with that as well. Also other companies, Vestas, who make wind turbines, also have a really great setup running Agile as well. So I do think there are a lot of companies that are doing it really well. And just to point out, both of those examples, uh, these are companies that make physical things as well, right? Not just uh, software driving exactly. aspects. Yeah, that was but exactly my point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. It works. We've talked about that in some past podcasts. I'll try to put a link in the show notes to one of them. Hardware companies are making good use of these practices as well, and for good reason. Okay, really good discussion. I uh, love, love some of the talking points there about how we can collaborate with other functions. The framework you shared before to put into perspective maybe what kind of tools and what process that we should be using to reflect on. That was really helpful. As listeners know, we like a good innovation quote around here. What do you have for us? And can you just share what that means to you? Yeah, I think that it's one that I have been, been I usually say it when I, I come out in companies as well that have made the decision here. We, we want to become agile. We want to go agile even. Uh, and, and usually what I would tell them is don't just go agile. That, that is simply wrong. If, if you have this mindset that you want to go agile, you want to implement this screwdriver here, uh, you're doing it wrong. So don't just go agile, uh, but implement business agility. You really want to focus on this, the flexible, the, the business agility uh, side of it and what comes with that. So that would be my, would be my quote for the day here. Don't just go agile, implement business agility. Yeah, business agility is good. And the thing I might tack on to that is don't just write less documentation. Yeah. Too many times, these agile tools, like you mentioned, extreme programming, I, I saw a lot with that one. And Scrum 2, some people just immediately think, oh, that means we just write less documentation. That's how we save time. <laughs> it's like, we actually want that business agility. That's such a great way to frame that. How can people find out more about the work you do, Mark, and resources you have available? So I think there are two really great places to, to catch up. One is on LinkedIn. If people catch uh, Aspire Innovation or, or catch me on LinkedIn, I'm always happy to, to connect with people, uh, have a talk. Always happy to meet over a cup of virtual coffee like we are here. Um, right. Always happy to do that. Hear about people's uh, challenges. Always inspiring. It's, I, I really love being out and, and, and talking with people there. So that would be really great. LinkedIn, great place to, to start. But always welcome to visit our, our webpage as well and, and uh, also the, be able to catch up with my two great colleagues there too we're always happy to talk okay and what's the url of your website uh, that would be aspire-innovation.com i will put those those links in the show notes to make them easy to find including the link to your profile on linkedin mark thank you so much for being with us today thanks for having me it's been fun and as a reminder listeners the detailed written summary of everything we discussed as long with that one page action guide to help you put into action immediately key takeaways from our discussion are at productmasterynow.com slash 386 everyone keep innovating thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge influence and confidence by listening you are becoming a product master creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.